Hello. I'm back. I'm late. I was supposed to post on Monday, but I didn't. Lazy. Welcome back. That's all I got, podcast. I'm still fiddling with all this stupid stuff. Okay, I'm live on YouTube, and I am going. I'm recording everywhere. Uh, I need to, to do this stuff a little more often so I can be more polished. My my lovely home office studio. Anyway, I was, I was supposed to post on Monday, which I meant to do, but I couldn't get around to it. So here I am, episode number 12, which isn't bad, I suppose, unless it's something you don't enjoy, then it's bad. So I'm just going to jump into this thing and start with a meal I ate yesterday. Look at this piece of shit. I I ordered I ordered a, uh, a whoa, a mushroom Swiss cheeseburger from uh from the Cheesecake Factory. And I generally eat a low carb meal. So what I did was is I, you know, excluded the bun, I excluded the french fries and asked them to provide me some, you know, maybe some lettuce to wrap it in and uh a salad in place of the fries. So this thing comes here and it's it was over $15, almost 16 bucks for this burger. And it comes in and it looks just looks so pathetic and lonely. Uh you know, you you when you eat lower carb and you're cutting out bread and and all that kind of stuff, you forget how much bulk it has just for the presentation. So this thing arrives and I look at it, I was like, this is fucking pathetic. You know, and then, and then you forget too that most of the cost of, of that meal, um, aside from the labor, you know, it costs, it, it takes to produce it is, uh, is the meat. So, <laughs> so it's like one patty of meat, maybe a couple slices of Swiss cheese and, a f- you know, at most it's like three or four mushrooms. It's probably not even four mushrooms, probably three mushrooms that they slice up and put on there. You got tomatoes and lettuce, all that shit's pennies. So 15, 16 bucks for a patty of meat. It was just so underwhelming and disappointing. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know. I just thought I'd start <laughs> start off with that. It just it just kills me every time I look at this stupid picture. So what did we have this week? This past it's almost two weeks now since since I posted. I had the story on ivermectin, um, which, by the way, that is my personal box of ivermectin. There was a story, uh, and I saw it was from a a tweet uh, from. Professor, not Professor, Dr. Pierre Corey. And he uh, was talking a little bit about how he has to fight to keep the information accurate on his own Wikipedia page because people keep changing it around. So I, I searched around a little bit and I found the original story from the Desert Review. And it was written by somebody who is a Wikipedia editor. And anybody, I mean, I assume everybody by now knows about Wikipedia 
and how it's user editable. I've edited things on Wikipedia myself. Uh, I've tried to correct things that were not accurate about things that I've done or about things that I knew. And I know you're not supposed to uh, uh, edit personal things. So there, there's no Wikipedia entry on me personally, but some of the things that I've done, uh, there are entries about it. So I've tried to correct those, and I don't know if that's legal according to Wiki, Wikipedia's rules or not, but I, I did it anyway. And so far, they, they've been sticky. Uh, so what seems to be happening with Ivermectin and Dr. Corey is that they're making changes to it, which are not factual, and it's done with a political bent. So from the Desert Review, uh, let's see, this guy writes, and I forget his name, you can go, there, there's a link in, in the show notes. This is, uh, you know, these are all, everything here that I talk about is from my blog, so if it's not in the show notes, it's somewhere on the blog. So this guy says, allow me to illustrate a case in point. Dr. Pierre Corey served uh, as the chief of critical care medicine at the uh, a university medical center. This fact is accurately reported on his Wikipedia page. In addition, he published a book on ultrasound and won a British award for this again. This is also accurately portrayed on his page. He testified at the U.S. Senate about ivermectin. I blogged that video as well uh, a while back. And this is where the incorrect incorrect information gets written. The Wikipedia page reports during his testimony in December 2020, Corey erroneously claimed that the antiparasitic medication ivermectin was a wonder drug with miraculous effectiveness against COVID-19. The one thing that's really been bugging me since, well, more than one thing, I suppose, but since Trump got elected, uh, news reports or people... Uh, people writing in the general legacy media, they're always using falsely claimed here, erroneously claimed. You know, it's claimed. You can't falsely claim something. You can claim something that maybe later is false, but you, you claim it. You don't falsely claim it. That's just the stupidest thing. That can't even be grammatically correct. So anyway, erroneously claimed the antiparasitic medication ivermectin was a wonder drug with miraculous effectiveness against COVID-19. In support, uh, Wikipedia cites an AP Fact Check article by a journalist, Mrs. Beatrice Dup Dupuy, what a name, uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing it correct, who is not a medical professional to my knowledge. She's never served as a medical director of critical care or pulmonary medicine. I believe she's written for the Star Tribune and Teen Vogue magazine in the past. However, she somehow sufficiently is, is sufficiently competent to call Dr. Corey's testimony false. Uh, let's see. The, there's also a senior editor of Wikipedia who seems to be singularly charged with defending vaccines and altering any positive information about the drug. So the writer of the article in the Desert Review goes on to say, uh, Wikipedia reports that there are 41 million editor accounts and some 127,566 are actively editing. Considering this, it's interesting that ASOP, which is, I guess, the handle, the Wikipedia handle for the editor, is the very same editor who reverted my edit, refer, um, this is the man writing now, uh, his edit on Pierre Corey, and the same editor who recently edited the Ivermectin Wikipedia page. Wow, what are the chances? 
uh, I was curious. I checked his other editing activity, which displayed uh, is displayed on Wikipedia. It turns out that he is also the same editor who manages the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine wiki page. And he's also the very same British retired computer scientist who edits the Big Pharma Conspiracy Theory wiki page. He also edits the Spike Protein wiki page. So you've got the guy that's obviously hired by pharmaceutical companies to uh, keep the information on Wikipedia quote-unquote accurate. You can't trust anything uh, this guy is posting about COVID-19, about vaccines, or about um, ivermectin because there's a clear agenda to play one down and play the others up. Um, So you have to be careful what you're reading out there. And um, things have been really ratcheted up, I think, in the past week with... um, What's her face? Jen Psaki out there um, talking about working directly with Facebook and telling Facebook what they can and cannot post regarding uh, COVID-19, the pandemic, the response, vaccines, blah, blah, blah. And I think I I saw somewhere posted that, um, I don't know who it was, I can't remember, but just perusing uh, Twitter, somebody came up with a good point that um, right now Trump has a lawsuit against both Facebook and Twitter. And I think Jen Psaki, which is uh, Biden's press secretary, I think her statements this past week should help his case in court about Facebook and Twitter. If Facebook is taking direction from the federal government um, for what is accurate information, what is inaccurate information, uh, and is taking direction to remove posts. That is then, they've, they've become a de facto arm of the federal government, and what they're doing is now government censorship. It's not just uh, normal people flagging posts. It's the government now coming in saying, shut up. You can't talk about that. Your opinion doesn't matter. So then that becomes direct government censorship. It's no longer a private company removing it. Anyway, I, I've got my own now supply of ivermectin. I'm not taking it. Uh, you know, I what I did was is I, I'm going to be doing some traveling um, July, August, September. And so I figured, okay... I am not willing to take a vaccine yet, just yet. And from everything I've been reading about ivermectin and the protocols that they have listed on the FLCCC's uh, website, uh, it's a, it's fairly benign. Uh, the chances of any adverse reactions from ivermectin and taking some multivitamins and vitamin D3 is very small. So, uh, and... You should be able to take it at first symptoms. You know, um, Dr. Corey says that he takes it as a preventive measure. But, you know, I, I've never been one to just take medication or pills uh, as a preventive. Uh, you know, I, mean, I have all my childhood vaccines and all that kind of stuff. And uh, But 
it, you know, I'm, I'm generally, if I'm not sick, if I don't feel that there's a problem, I'm not going to take anything. So what I, what my deal is, is that I will keep this kind of on the side, uh, keep it in supply, and then, uh, because it's also supposed to be very effective upon first symptoms. So, you know, if I feel something coming on, you know, and I should know because I haven't been sick in several years. I haven't had cold or flu or anything in, in quite some time. So if, if something starts to go south, I should be able to feel it. And then I just keep a supply of a multivitamin and vitamin D3 and the ivermectin. And then I can just start the, uh, the protocol that, that they suggest. Um, I've also done that, done that for my wife. So I have it, not taking it until it is necessary. The next story I blogged was, now this is all old stuff uh, because it's been almost two weeks and I didn't really blog much within the last week. But uh, supermarkets are stocking up, stocking up on things that have shelf life uh, because what they're trying to do is they're trying to lock in the prices um, because of not just inflation but in uh, supply chain problems. But, you know... Uh, I still maintain that inflation is at least the current inflation is temporary because of all the we're we're in a uncharted territory of uh, gross government manipulation of everything. You can't close down uh, entire economies and expect that ripple effect to go quietly. It's gonna take a long time. Uh, so here we have uh, from the Wall Street Journal, when prices start rising, food sellers often purchase more inventory than they need to protect their profit. Price changes have been minor in recent years, executives said, generally involving a pool of specific products. The current price increases are bigger are bigger, and are playing out more broadly across supermarket aisles, executives said. General Mills, Campbell Soup, J.M. Smucker are among food makers raising prices to compensate for higher costs. Meat and produce prices have been climbing too, with retailers anticipating more increases through the rest of the year. Um, so this is something to watch out for. And if if you have, you know, I'm not saying hoard, you know, like the crap that happened with the toilet paper and the paper towels that was just all stupid. Uh, especially back then, there were no supply chain problems, where now we have this ripple effect of people not going back to work or... You know, uh, so in, in raw materials, you weren't being able, people weren't able to produce, or companies weren't able to produce raw materials for, you know, other all the products that we use down the line. And then you had the problem of not being able to ship them because people weren't working. And now you've got container ships and shit all over the place, just kind of hanging about, uh, trying to get to where it needs to go. So I, this has got to shake out. I, I was thinking 2022. Uh, maybe about this time next year or maybe towards the end of the year, but maybe it'll, it'll be longer. Who knows? Um, with the price of labor that's shot up, with all the money being pumped into the U.S. economy by the federal government, they were talking about another $4 trillion. Uh, but I don't know. I, who, who the hell knows? Everything's so freaking unstable that... Who knows? So, you know, I, I've got an extra freezer in my basement. And what I do is when we go to Costco or whatever, you know, I will keep a supply of meat and things like that in that freezer. So uh, I can at least weather the storm for some drastic price shocks. You know, toilet paper is a different story. 
I, I, I'll jump in the shower and just wash myself off before I start hoarding things like toilet paper and paper towel. Uh, speaking of Jen Psaki, from earlier, not just now, obviously, she had the most lame fucking thing uh, in a press conference. And I think, let's see, this my post was dated July 8th. So it's, it was either that day or the day before. And when you watch, and it was it was the same way with when when President Obama was president, the news media and their reporters are just so it's so incestuous. When you when you watch them, it's just kind of sickening to hear them um, bootlick pretty much. So Saki walks in, and this is what she does. I said happy Thursday. Well, I was going to say, I did hear it was Steve Holland's 29th birthday. So happy 29th so disgusting birthday. For this. I am a terrible with this. singer, but I am willing to lead That's true. a song She is a terrible singer. Game. In eight seconds, it, it begins. May be. It may be. Who's with me? Someone here has a good voice. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. So it turns out... She is tone deaf in more ways than one. It's just awful. Uh, I don't know. When you when you see this, it's like, come on. What kind of press do we have? What happened? <laughs> what the fuck happened to us? It's just so disgusting. Anyway, getting back to where I was. Okay, so the reason I didn't blog a lot in the last week is that right now I'm, I'm living in Chicago. And I went back to Chicago. I'm living in Chicago. Right now I'm living in Georgia. <laughs> I'm from Chicago. And I, 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 I lived in Chicago my whole life. 53 years. I moved to the northeastern suburbs of Atlanta uh, late last year after living my entire life in the Chicago area. Um, so, you know, my, my father still lives there, and I still have uh, other family siblings there. But it was his 87th birthday on July 10th. And, I, you know, I, I'm used to going out to dinner with him or whatever. So this time, I you know, I drove up and went to lunch. And... Uh, you know, I, 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 I worked with my father for, I worked for my family, rather, for over 30 years. And I worked with, this is my father here, on the picture, sitting in his office. Um, you know, for, I, I, I worked for my family for over 30 years. I worked directly with my father, side by side, basically, for over 20 years. In, in various capacities, various business. My father's a classic uh, entrepreneur. And, you know, it's since it's been a solid year since I've seen him in person, I did take him to lunch last year, even through the, in the, during the height of COVID. Uh, when you, in Chicago, you could not actually go to a restaurant and eat, so I went and got takeout and brought it to the office. 
so it's been a year and you know my father um has been on the decline you know he's he's old but uh you know after if, after not seeing him for a solid year you could tell that the changes are more pronounced and i don't know if it's because i'm not there every day you know i i quit the family business 2 years ago so i haven't been in the office on a daily basis over there you know since march end of march uh 2019 so i used to see him every single day every well, weekdays and if you don't know him uh you know he he might still seem like a pretty sharp guy because he tells you know my father's always been a storyteller just like you know a lot of entrepreneurs uh, uh guys like him and it's it's hard to describe what he's like i mean he's very trump like in a lot of ways um just not as bombastic you know he's korean he's he's you know he was born in south korea um but he's he's a good storyteller So if you don't know him, you know, and you're listening to him tell stories, you might think, yeah, he, he's, you know, pretty sharp. Plus, he's 87. He's pretty mobile. He still drives himself to work every day. Um, but now, you know, he's getting to the point where he's starting to tell stories that uh, I know for a fact never happened because, you know, because I worked side by side with him almost on a daily basis for so long that these things I know for sure didn't happen you know places that he's flown to trips that he's taken you know uh that for sure he's not there uh but the one thing uh the memory you know memory is a is a funny thing and the things that stick with him that are have been consistent that you know things that he's mentioned to me over decades are his regrets and you know, so now that I've had some time to kind of step away from everything and and listen to him talk, the regrets sound even a little bit more sad than before. Because now it's like, okay, he's he's making up, you know, he's not cre- he's not making them up on purpose. These memories of his or or the stories that he's now telling, a lot of times it's uh, two things mashed up into one or things from the news or or something that he's kind of inserting into his own life oh lost my train of thought there <laughs> anyway uh it was his regrets that's where it was his regrets those are the things that have been consist- uh, consistent he those he hasn't changed for decades and it you know it i suppose i i always thought about this you know, it's always been kind of in the back of my mind, but um, now it makes me realize that, or maybe it's cemented in my brain, uh, that he is my father, even though no matter all the things he's done and accomplished, he's the poster child for uh, don't wait. If there's something you want to do, don't wait. Just go do it. Even if you can't finish it you can't complete it just get it started get moving 
It's the only way you're ever going to get it done. That principle. And then the other one is, don't listen to what people say. Watch what they do. Because people bullshit all the time, including my father. Um, you know, uh, or they will say things that they want people to believe, but they themselves don't believe it. Uh, or it's an action that they never do. So you have to look at, if you really want to know what a person, what what's very important to a person is you have to watch what they do. Because the actions they take, those are the real uh, intentions. Those are the things that they are genuinely thinking. Not what they say. People talk bullshit all the time. And, they're, they're, you know, the reason, now here's a picture here of him. Um, we're, we're getting in, in his Suburban because we, you know, to go out to the restaurant. Because uh, he can't ride in my Jeep first. It's very difficult for him to climb up into the Jeep. And second, I brought my dog with me to Chicago, and it was full of Labrador hair. So I'm like, well, just take your Suburban. That's him climbing in the Suburban. Now here we are at the restaurant, and he is um, kind of scanning the room as he's always done. He's looking for people that he recognizes uh, because he's he's a... He's, he's used to being recognized himself. It doesn't happen so much anymore because his generation have all moved on. Uh, so he's very used to being recognized in the restaurant by other customers, <clears throat> people from the community. And, you know, they come up and talk to him, shake his hand. So it doesn't happen so much anymore. So he scans the room looking for other people. He, he still spots people once in a while. Um, but, you know, we were sitting down eating and, and he's talking about some of the things that we've done together. And, you know, we did a lot over 25 years. And, you know, everything's business. So, you know, yes, I, I, you know, he's my father. So, and we live or we used to live about 10 minutes apart. So Christmases, birthdays, Father's Day, all those things, you know, all those events, we would always see each other um, after after hours, after work. Um, but even then, you know, when we're, say we're out for uh, his birthday with the family, with the entire family, even then, there's very little sitting down and just kind of enjoying the meal and, uh, you know, I don't know, talking about whatever. Instead, it's always involved shop talk. Always, because that's 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 my father. It's like, wait, when you go back to the office, you got to go do this. We got to do that. We got to don't forget about this. Uh, so now that he's combining these things, you know, he, he's he's got these other stories in his head. So he's, you know, he's kind of reminiscing, but he's making them bigger, you know, larger, more grandiose. So I, I try to correct the record. You know, he talks about um, some properties that he says that he owns in Phoenix or, you know, I used to own, didn't I own that property over here or, you know, own one over here by, you know, the, in the Illinois-Wisconsin uh, border and I have to correct the, you know, correct the record for him and say, nope, you know, you never did or you sold that off or whatever, whatever it is. And he looks at me with this perplexing look like, 
are you sure about that? You know, and he knows that I don't lie to him. He knows I, t- I tell him the truth. So he trusts what I'm telling him, but he, it confuses the shit out of him because he really believes that these things that he either owned or had, still either still owns them or still has them. In some cases, he never uh, owned a property that he thinks he now owns. You know, but he, he did get around to some of his regrets. And with those, uh, you know, we used to talk about it quite a bit and we would joke about it because my father is <clears throat> is a classic uh, success story. He, he did live the American dream. He came here with nothing and built up his life into something massive, something, you know, very few people in the United States do, in the world. And so we talked about, you know, some of the regrets. And sometimes he talks about, um, you know, my mother and his current wife. And I, I would tell him, I was like, you know what, you're somebody who should have never gotten married, ever. And, he, you know, some, he'll look and he'll smile and he'll say, yeah, I think you're right. You know, and yeah, sure. I'm talking about my own existence being uh, just eliminated. But uh, here we are at the restaurant. I I asked him to smile for the camera on this picture, but uh, he was so focused on preparing his napkin that he just <laughs> he just didn't hear it. So I took it anyway. But anyway, so I told him I was like, "Yeah, you should have never never had never had a wife, never had children, because." To be quite honest, all of us kids, um, we just held him back. You know, if he had his choice, he would stay at the office, you know, if he could, 24 hours, 7 days a week. He has such a drive, and uh, what works what works through his mind is always on, on the business. And so his work ethic and his instincts are so strong that it had to really pain him every day to come home to have to deal with family. You know, and with his kids, you know, there's four of us. I, it's me, I have an older brother, and then I have a, a half-brother, half-sister from my father's second marriage. And none of us, none of us lived up to, I mean... You know, I suppose it's a classic thing that, you know, kids never live up to their parents' expectations. But in this case, uh, you know, my f- when, you, when you have a father that has such drive, uh, it, I, it's sort of like being Michael Jordan's son and trying to play basketball. You know, you are never going to live up to that height. You can try. Uh, but there are intangibles, there are things that that person has that you don't and you know it's it's just my opinion my my siblings can speak for themselves but you know to me none of us none of us have his instincts or drive you know each of us has maybe a little bit of something of him you know a little piece uh of you know whatever his total package is but i think even you you can put us together um in a company in a business and we will not equal uh, what he can do and what he what he has done. 
you know, so why why did he even have a family? He, well, he's Korean, so um, culturally, traditionally, you know, he uh, he believes part of being successful is having a family, having a wife, children, and of course a Cadillac. You know, maybe Cadillac these days isn't so much, but he he likes to tell the story about. Um, he was trying to get an SBA loan, I think it was, and the the loan officer uh, at the time came to visit him at his office and told him, you know, my father at the time was driving an Oldsmobile, nice Oldsmobile though, it was a Cutlass, I think, at the time. And and the the loan officer said, "Look at Casey, you got to be, you got to look successful." And next time I come back here, I want to see you driving a Cadillac. So this is a loan officer telling him to buy a more expensive car, which is weird. But anyway, so, you know, Cadillac is, is this thing. And he's, ever since then, he has owned a Cadillac, either a car or an SUV. You know, he owns right now a Cadillac Escalade. He wasn't driving it today, but or that day, uh, but he has it. I, I know because I was with him when, when we bought it. So he had to have a family. And the problem is, is that being a family man is the one skill set, one major skill set my father did not possess. He doesn't know what to do with people on a personal level. If if you were a uh, one of his uh, business colleagues, say you were a salesman or you were a uh, a competitor, you know he knows exactly what to do. He knows how to talk to you. He knows how to get out of you what he needs. But on a family level, when you're dealing more with emotional behavior and reactions instead of uh, people motivated by profit and getting getting work done, uh, it was terrible. <laughs> uh, he he just could not understand uh, why we couldn't do what he did, or or he couldn't relate to us perhaps maybe even as to maybe what our needs were. And these are just things. I'm not like, I'm not lamenting it or really complaining about it at all. It's just, I kind of understand it better now than I did before. Uh, And the last couple of years being separated from the family business, not being around, it's kind of cemented all these things. You know, and I think the other part of it is, is that I, you know, there's no perfect father, there's no perfect mother, there's no perfect family. You know, we all have issues or problems or whatever. Uh, but now, you know, myself, I, I have two kids that are grown, and now I have two grandchildren. One which, you know, at least we were pretty close with for the first couple of years. Our grandson, uh, you know, he was born here in our house, so we saw him for a couple of months. But beyond that, um, you know, he's been uh, living with his mother and we haven't really seen him. We see him on video, so he he won't really know us. But there's Godfrey. There goes Godfrey. Godfrey, no, be quiet. So... Um, you know, having the perspective of being both the father and the grandfather now, I, I, you know, I understand better, I believe, 
you know, motivations and, and, and these kind of problems. And the focus there really is that you cannot live your children's lives. You cannot do it for them, which is, I think, a difficulty my father had. You know, he could do these things. Why can't you? You know, one of my father's other regrets is retirement. He's never been able to do it. He's always talked about it. He's talked about it for maybe 15, 20 years. Um, he would talk about wanting to buy a house in Arizona or uh, Florida, all these different places, and he just never did. You know, it's not like he couldn't. He had the ability. Um, it's just that, it, you know, this is where you watch what people say, uh, or don't listen to what people say, you watch what they do instead. And then you know their real motivations and what's really important to them. So he never pulled the trigger on it. He would talk about it a lot. He even talked to some real estate agents and talked to some business colleagues about what they think about this location, that location. But he never did it. And, you know, and, and I know this because... This is here. There's a picture of my father. Here, I'll give you his voice. I don't know if you can hear that. Of course, now I've got a buffering issue. Why is this stupid thing buffering now? Oh, you know what? <laughs> Probably because I'm trying to live stream at the same time. So this is, I, I could have, should have just played this off my local machine. Mistake. Okay, there it goes, it's buffering. No, I should have hit play earlier. So I, I have no idea what he's talking about there. I couldn't identify. I couldn't identify what it was he was saying. Anyway, um, you know, just to kind of reiterate about my father and um, regrets and and watching what people do versus what they say. You know, here's some of my father's basic accomplishments here. And he was in Chicago. Uh, he was pretty much the shit. He was one of the most uh, prominent Koreans in Chicago. We even were able to get a, a street corner named after him. And this, there's a proclamation from the city back when uh, Mayor Daly was mayor where um, they list a bunch of his accomplishments and uh you know, they even made the street sign. The The corner that, that's named after him is the corner of Foster and Kedzie over on the north side. And the reason it's that, that, at that corner is because that corner is where he founded a bank. Uh, the first Korean community bank in Chicago. Um, the Getting the street sign done was my idea, but my, my younger brother at the time was in a position where he was able to push this thing through and, and get it done. So it was kind of cool, but um, my, what my father did, he came here in the 1950s. He went to school in downstate Illinois in, in Decatur. He worked in 
uh, different pharmaceutical labs or different labs. He was a chemist by, by, uh, by trade and um, by training. Then he started his own pharmaceutical company. He produced generic drugs, liquids, tablets, and things. And, and his generics, they were in Walgreens and uh, Rite Aid and all the big chains, CVS. He produced um, pharmaceuticals for the Defense Department. So his stuff was, you know, at veterans' hospitals and with the military. After after that, um, you know, he did run into some trouble here and there. <laughs> you know, he's not not a perfect man, so you know he did run into some a bit of trouble, and he sold his pharmaceutical company. And with the success of that and the money from there, he launched into a whole bunch of different things. He founded, you know, as I mentioned before, a Korean community bank in Chicago called Foster Bank. He bought a hotel. He bought a, a country club with uh, had a restaurant. And he, he owned a restaurant before that as well while he was doing the pharmaceutical company. It was called uh, Deho, a Korean restaurant on Divine Avenue in Chicago. I don't even know if it still exists. But he also bought a bunch of commercial real estate. He bought um, residential real estate that he would rent out. And he had other businesses over the years, um, things that I all worked at. The only place I did not work was the hotel. Um, I even had a brief stint at the bank. But finally, uh, the thing that he really ended up with that was kind of the largest part of um, his businesses was uh, broadcast properties. And that's where I worked with him for the last 20, over 20 years. Um, he ended up um, first just doing a local cable news show in Korean. And then he found a way where he could acquire some low-power TV stations. So he did, he did that. He, he had uh, two stations in Chicago, one in Milwaukee, and one in the Atlanta area. He still has one in Chicago and one, uh, the LPTV in Atlanta. And then over the years, um, we built a, a big stable of television stations, some full power, most of them low power, and radio, AM, FM, radio all across the country and Guam. So he started out from nothing. He came to the United States not speaking English, had 20 bucks in his pocket, as he famously says. And he rose to be, you know, quite a prominent man in the Korean community in Chicago. You know, I would joke around with him sometimes. He's a, he was a big fish in a small pond. But, you know, that, that really is all joking aside. And it doesn't, I try not to take away from his actual accomplishments because he's done things that I, I wasn't, could never do. It's just not in me to do what he does. So that's just a, an example of if, if, it, if he truly wanted to retire, this is a man that's done so much in his life. It's not like he can't go out and buy a house someplace where he wants to go. The problem is, is that he doesn't know how to retire. You know, it's just, it's not in his bones. He's not able to stop. You know, and his, his motivations were never with business. It's never been to, okay, I'm going to build this business and then I'm going to pass it off to my children. You know, I, I don't think I understand. I understood that in the beginning either, which is fine. It's, it's all his. You know, his, his deal is that he's addicted to business. He wants to do the next transaction. He wants to do the next deal. 
you know, and it's, it's like I said before, it's not a bad thing. Um, it's something I didn't understand in the beginning. Uh, let's see. Okay, there, it's a proclamation. Um, in this picture here, uh, and if you're listening to this on a Podcasting 2.0 compatible podcast, you'll be able to see this picture. I will put these up uh, with chapters. Uh, he's putting away these takeout, Chinese takeout boxes that are filled with candy. He likes to pass out candy to people. This is something he's picked up in the last decade. So every time he goes there to eat, they give him this little box filled with a bunch of candy. So this is his giant stash. Uh, but anyway, you know, we, we used to have big fights at work, all centered around business because I'm a very, I'm fairly conservative in most ways and I'm not a big risk taker like he is. You know, and he had already amassed a bunch of wealth by the time, you know, I started working uh, in broadcasting with him. I, you know, I worked in the other businesses with him, uh, but it wasn't like side by side on a daily basis. It was kind of on the side on, on other businesses. But in this case, I was with him in the office every day. And I, I'd see this like, okay, you you have all this wealth and you have these businesses. So let's figure out a way where you retain the wealth and grow the business. But it... It wasn't, you know, my concept of what I thought he wanted wasn't the same. Uh, or at least my concept and what he wanted wasn't the same. I couldn't understand it. And he would never, he was never one to really explain it. It was always just like, well, this is it. We got to get this done. Get this done. Go do this. And I, was, and, and I would literally tell him, I was like, well, what do you want to do that for? That's just going to cost you a lot of money. And you're not going to get a whole lot of bang for your buck out of this, you know. And, you know, my my thing was always like, okay, if you want to do this, let's plan this out a little more carefully and do this to, and do it in, in, a, in a more controlled manner to try to preserve capital and expand the business at the same time. But it, no, none of it ever moved at the pace that he needed to go. So, you know, we would, we would fight and we would argue about it. You know, he'd always get his way because it's his business. But, you know, I couldn't... I, I was never able to not put in my two cents, so we would conflict a lot. And it took me such a long time to understand. Oh, what the hell? That stupid picture's off again. Uh, I gotta fix that. <laughs> uh, if you're looking at this, it's a picture of my father, and there's a bug in the in the in the corner of the photo that's from a different blog that I run. Anyway, so. You know, now that I, I've quit, I've got like two years of separation from it all. Separation from the family, separation from the businesses. And, you know, it's kind of just solidifying. I think that the ideas were always back there, but now it's solidifying that. Uh, that I, you know, where I can understand him better. So it, it's... It's just kind of funny that he's, you know, in some so many ways he's a big man, and you know, he, he at eighty seven he's starting to shrink, but um, in reality, you know, he, he was a fairly big guy, um, fairly prominent guy, and the stories that he tells now are even bigger than before. You know, people that he that he thinks he's met, which he hasn't. And it's kind of a shame because, you know, his, his real story, the real reality of his life is pretty big to begin with. 
but I think he he makes these his mind is making these stories bigger because he's really never been satisfied where he is. And, you know, that's the part that's kind of sad with him. You know, when I go eat lunch with him, it's kind of sad that, that he's at this stage in his life and that you can, you can be a, somebody like him and accomplish so much and accumulate even enormous wealth. At, at one point, him and his companies were worth probably close to half a billion dollars. This is in the early 2000s. You know, it's not even close to that now because the broadcasting properties, the value of them has just plummeted. But he was at a stage where he owned enough, I think, if he would have just cashed out, uh, sold it all off at one time, it would have been in the hundreds of millions. So... To, to be somebody like him that was able to get to such a point in his life that is the envy of, I would think, most people in the world. That the fact that he has such mundane regrets that really bug the shit out of him is a little sad. Yeah, you know, we all have regrets. Um, but I, I think the lesson to, to take from my father with those with those type of regrets is that you know I think most of our people's regrets are small but they they bug the shit out of us so the best thing to do is just accept them that they're there you know you can still regret them but don't let them eat at you you just kind of leave it there it's there and now it's done it's gone you can't change it because it's in the past so you can you can still have the regret but without the baggage. You know, and that's something he he can't do. All his accomplishments and a little thing still bug him. Like like the divorce with my mother, even though he's had a second wife, second family, um, you know, and it should have been better for him because his second wife is Korean as well. My mother is not. She is from upstate New York. So the second marriage should have been better for him. But still it's still the the idea that he got divorced that still bugs them, which it shouldn't, you know, just move on, move on. Those things are done. So, you know, in in my blog post about the visit, you know, I I say that the the two things to take away are that um, the truth of people lies in their actions, and that goes for everybody. Don't listen to what they say. You can hear what they say. As long as their words match their actions, you're fine. You know, that's the thing to watch, but... Um, when their words don't, when the words that they use have an opposite meaning to what their actions are, you can't trust them. That and the fact that, uh, and or not the fact, but um, that lesson plus don't wait for tomorrow. If it's something you want to do, just go do it. And then you won't have some of these petty, gnawing regrets. And you may not be able to finish it. You may not even be able to accomplish it. But if it's something that you want, if you don't go for it, if you don't go towards it, you'll never get there. There's no chance, zero chance. So um, that is the podcast for this week because that's all I got, which is still the, the same lame name on the podcast uh let me see let's cut to that
Oh, you can buy the shirt if you want. I have a shop on my site. Uh, so, um, again, this is this is a podcasting 2.0 compatible podcast. I've been trying to do it. This is a uh, you can stream money directly to me if you're watching this on an app like Breeze or Podfriend or someplace where you can uh, stream satoshis, which are micro payments, micro I forget what the hell they call them. They're bits of Bitcoin. Uh, there is a list of podcast apps at newpodcastapps.com, and you can go there, and, and there's a whole bunch of different apps and, and platforms that you can use that are Podcasting 2.0 compatible. So you should go there, check out the different apps, um, go to podcastindex.org, support their efforts to extend RSS, and to make and keep podcasting open for the independent uh, podcaster because we all know Apple, Facebook, Spotify, even though this podcast, you can access it on all those platforms, uh, they don't give a shit about anybody. So, you know, right now what I'm doing, because this is just something I just feel like doing, it's, I didn't, don't plan on making money. If it makes money, fine. If, it, if I get anything, fine. But this thing is self-hosted. So I, I've got a dream uh, DreamHost account, so that's where my MP3 files are. I, um, it's also where my website is, and I have a WordPress blog site. And with that, I have uh, Blueberry's PowerPress plugin, and another plugin from Lehman Creations that allows me to insert uh, a few of the Podcasting 2.0 namespace tags. Uh, one of which is the value for value tag, or the value tag as they call it, uh, and that's that's the tag that allows you to stream money, or not money, it's uh, crypto money, cryptocurrency, you know, and I think normal people won't even know what the hell it is, but it's, it, they're Satoshis, and they're bits of Bitcoin, that's the best explanation I can give, so if, if you go and use one of these apps, you can uh, load them up, you know, it doesn't take much, you can put 20 bucks on it or whatever, and then you can, um, set the app so it streams, you know, a certain number of Satoshis per minute. And then you can also, if you hear something that you like or an idea you like or something that you found particularly entertaining, you can hit the boost button to like, hey, I like that, and then you can boost. Now they're also working now on uh, messaging. And I know the messaging works inside of, I think, CurioCaster and PodFriend. So you can uh, send money and also send a message to the podcaster. It's all interesting stuff. You should go check it out. If there's anything, any questions, comments, or ideas you have for me, you can uh, email me at mail at kevinbay.com. I'd be more than happy to uh, answer any questions you might have. But that's it for this week. Hopefully, um, you know, normally I was going to try to do this on Monday, so I don't know if I'm going to podcast again this coming Monday, but we'll, we'll find out. Anyway, that's all I got, and I'll talk to you later. getting hot in this room. That my dog barking didn't help. Anyway, adios muchachos. You should learn how to say that in Korean.